Bible's with me to Genesis chapter 3. And we complete another chapter today. It's always a milestone. I say that every time. These are such lengthy passages to go through. These chapters are so challenging on so many different levels. You just can't say everything that could be said or should be said when you're dealing with something as foundational as the book of Genesis is. So we come to the conclusion here of chapter 3, and with it we find the punishment, the curses that are enacted by God for violating the only command that God gave to Adam and then was passed on to Eve. The subsequent expulsion from the garden tabernacle that God had created especially for them And so woven into this curse expulsion are indications of grace. These are very subtly woven into these verses and it takes careful study of the Hebrew language, which I am not an expert in, to unearth some of what is being said. And this grace that is found here is necessary if man is going to have any future capacity to know God and a fellowship with God. Apart from God's grace, we cannot know Him. We cannot fellowship with Him. We cannot hope to be acceptable to Him. It is only by His grace. So for the sake of time, our review is going to be incredibly brief because the message is going to be longer than I had planned and desire. And so as we looked in chapter 3, the adversary of God has come into the garden in the form of a serpent. He's been successful in leading Eve to question God's command, to question the fairness of God's command, and to entertain the supposed unfair limitation that this one command had placed upon her. She has eaten of the fruit while Adam looked on. Adam also eats of the fruit when she gives it to him. God comes into the garden at the cool of the day for the regularly appointed time of fellowship with Adam and Eve, but they are hiding because they are ashamed of their newly discovered nakedness. And God confronts them with their disobedient actions. So as God confronts them and hears from them their pitiful excuses as to why they have done this one thing they were not allowed to do, they have deflected personal responsibility and they have blamed. They blamed God. Adam blamed God for giving him the woman. Eve blamed God because the serpent came and after all you created the serpent and you allowed it in here. And neither of them took any personal responsibility, but deflected it and blamed it on other things other than themselves. So after hearing their lame excuses, God hands out the punishment. Read with me in Genesis three, fourteen through 24. This is what God's Word says for us today. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you, excuse me, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth, and pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for husband, and he will rule over you. 
Then he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Now a man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So as we continue in our ongoing outline here, we see number four, and that is the curses. The curses that God is going to hand out as a result of the fall of man. Again, impossible to say everything that could or should be said when exploring this. In fact, you could look at each of these curses and break them out in greater detail and see how these curses are woven in and out of the rest of the biblical revelation. You can do that on your own time. We won't try to do that in our 35 to 40 minutes today. So as these curses are now pronounced, first it comes upon letter A, the serpent. These are in reverse order, reversed order of responsibility. And so upon the serpent, God doesn't give the serpent any opportunity to talk or explain his actions. So rebellion is not something new for Lucifer. Lucifer inhabits the serpent or has appeared in the garden in the form of a serpent. The revelation isn't clear as to which it might be. Both of these are possibilities. But he doesn't give the serpent any opportunity to speak. And it says in the beginning part of verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this. And so Adam and Eve are both responsible for their sinful. But God also recognizes that the serpent set the chain of events in action, resulting in this fall. Therefore, he is subject to being cursed as well. The pronounced curse has two primary applications, which intertwine with one another. There is the physical curse, and then there is also the spiritual curse. In the physical curse, the serpent as a reptile and how he will relate to mankind. In the spiritual curse, it is the force behind the serpent and his eventual conflict with and defeat at the hands of the seed of the woman. We'll look at this in a little bit more detail. So we understand the spiritual significance in this curse because we have the completed revelation. You have to imagine the original reader saying, Who is this serpent? What is this curse? What is the seed of man? What is this thing going to be? And so it is the reading of God's revealed word that this becomes obvious to the reader in the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, who would eventually destroy the adversary. So verse 14b, this last part of that says, Cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life.
So notice that the serpent is cursed above and beyond all other land creatures expressed here as cattle and also as beasts of the field. So when we looked at this, the cattle were all of the domesticated livestock. The beasts of the field were all other kinds of predatory of animals that would become predatory after the curse of the fall. And so the, the, excuse me, the direct result of Adam's fall brings about upon the serpent, upon snakes, a greater curse and would be fallen upon any of the other of the land creatures that would be created. So Adam's fall did not just have an impact on human life, but on the entirety of the world, on animal creatures. If you remember, in our detailed look at creation, when God created the land animals, He gave them all the vegetation of the earth, to sustain them. They were all herbivores. It is not until after the fall that they become carnivores. This is a part of the curse. Predators and prey. It wasn't always that way. So all of God's created world would be affected by the fall and the curse that God pronounces because of it. We would read in Romans 8 verses 20 to 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also, excuse me, also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. When God completed creation, he declared it to be very good. No defect, no flaw, no blemish, nothing lacking. It was perfect. But after the fall, creation is subjected to this curse and it, it awaits for, it longs for a recreation when it will be spared from the curse that it has been subjected to, much like us today are to long for the coming of Jesus or the end of this physical life when we will be entered into the presence of God Almighty for eternity and be freed from the curse that dominates every facet of our life. This greater curse is expressed through the the greater curse on the serpent is expressed through the act of crawling on its belly and by eating the dust all the days of its life. Now some speculate that until the curse that serpents had legs like other reptiles, lizards, alligators, other kinds of creatures, and these legs were lost as a part of the punishment. Well, that is a possibility, but it's more probable that serpents never had legs, and the crawling on its belly relates to its being relegated to eating the dust of the field for all the days of its life. Now, they don't actually eat dust. They eat mice. They eat other creatures. But this combination of terms, crawling on your belly, eating the dust of the field, is a figurative way of expressing its humiliation and its total defeat. This is expressed for us throughout Scripture in a variety of places. 
But when God was talking about his eventual victory over all of his enemies, he would say through the prophet Micah, they, his adversaries, will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses to the Lord our God. They will come in dread and they will be afraid before you. And so it is a way of expressing figuratively the humiliation and the total defeat that is being pronounced upon the serpent, both physically and spiritually. Even today, we have this expression in our culture, eat my dust, right? You've heard that. When someone says, eat my dust, that is a way of saying you will be humiliated and you will experience total defeat at my hands. So the humiliation speaks to the way serpents were viewed throughout history and the total defeat speaks to the spiritual victory that will overcome the spiritual force behind the serpent. Now, I might be different. Not everybody would agree with me. But most of us look upon snakes and we go, Ooh, why would anybody want one of those things for a pet? That seems to be anti-human. It seems to be going against every grain of my body. And you can actually see people when there is a picture, a video of a boa constrictor wrapping its body around its owner, so to speak, and people literally jump out of their chairs because it seems abnormal. That is the kind of humiliation the physical servant has been subjected to, but there is this spiritual humiliation that is being prophesied here when the seed of the woman is going to bruise his head or actually crush his head depending upon the the translation you have. So this curse being pronounced upon the serpent continues in verse 15a. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. I don't know that enmity is a word that we're very familiar with. I don't know that you and I experience enmity in our life. But it speaks of intense hatred. Jew-Gentile hatred, Arabic-Israeli hatred. There's a there's a level of hatred that is that is being expressed here that you and I don't quickly identify with because we just haven't experienced it in our own little world. So while this verse has the elements of the physical, it is really only using the physical to explain the spiritual curse that God is pronouncing this enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It's using physical picture to explain spiritual reality. Enmity between the serpent and the woman is not speaking to the way woman would view snakes, although I don't know many women that look upon them very favorably, but it is a foreshadowing of the future defeat of the serpent, Lucifer, that he would experience at the hands of the Messiah. The enmity that Lucifer would experience is going to come from the seed of the woman, and we'll break that down here in just a little bit. The verse reinforces the seed motif that, if you remember, was very subtly introduced during creation, where the vegetation would multiply through the dispersion of seed after its own kind. And so plant life, vegetation, would 
procreate, so to speak. It would replicate itself through seeds, which are dispersed by the wind, by animals who eat the fruit, and then disperse it through their waste in other parts of the of the field or in other parts of the territory. So this is how vegetation is going to reproduce itself through the seed. And this is the seed motif that was introduced all the way back in Genesis 1.11. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. So this is a foreshadowing here in 1.11 of the kind of seed that's going to be lived out throughout the pages of Scripture. So the seed represents a spiritual descendant, not a physical one, and there will be enmity, constant hatred and conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent is not literal, is not literal, as in little snakes, that's not what he's talking about. Neither is the seed referring to demons, because Satan does not father demons. Rather, the seed of the serpent refers refers to natural humanity whom he, Lucifer, has led into rebellion against God. This is exactly what Lucifer did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He led a rebellion against God. And so there is this spiritual seed that is going to come from the woman. On the one hand, a spiritual seed that will love God and desire to please Him and serve Him. And a spiritual seed that will come from the woman. Humanity that Lucifer is successful in leading astray to continually rebel against God. It will take no further than Adam and Eve's first family to see the the delineation of the seed through Cain and Abel be fleshed out. So the seed motif is introduced. It's a spiritual seed, not a literal physical seed, although Jesus would eventually come from a woman and be the the tool that, that God uses to stamp out the rule of the serpent. So humanity is now divided into two communities, the elect who love God and the reprobate who love self. That's it, two communities, love God, hate God. You've heard of the worship of Satan, you've heard of the... um, uh, what's his name? I f- just came to me and then I forgot his name. You, you know who I'm thinking of. I, I'll spit it out here when I don't want to. But there is this, there is this idea that within Satanism, within the worship of Satan, this idea that Alistair, Alistair McRae, is that the name? Alistair? I gotta stop that. So, to thine own self be true. That is the motto of the satanic church. To thine own self be true. Love of self. Priority of self. Instead of love of God. Priority of God. So the curse opposed upon Satan is an indication that God is choosing to act graciously with the sin of Adam and Eve. Verse 15b. He, capitalized, 
and we could spend a lot of time fleshing this out. He being capitalized is a thorough understanding of what is implied by the spiritual seed that is going to fight and win over the serpent and Lucifer. So he, capitalized, shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is a foreshadowing of the grace that is going to come even in the midst of the pronouncement of this curse. God announces a battle of champions, if you will, and there will be a seed that comes from the woman that will conquer Satan. Because we have the completed revelation of God's Word, we know that this is a reference of the coming of Jesus Christ who will crush the head of the serpent of God's adversary and provide victory for the people of God. The reader of the day would say, who is going to do that? How is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? i got to read this and figure it out. That's why Jesus came. When Jesus came, God's own people didn't recognize it. They had long long since let go of the truth of God's word and substituted the traditions of man. And when the Messiah looked them square in the face, they said, you are not from God. The seed of Cain, the seed that rebels against God, as opposed to the seed of Abel, the seed of the woman that is going to come and rescue God's people. We have a prophecy of the cross right here when Satan would strike the heel of Christ, which is found on the suffering of the cross, but Christ would strike Satan's head through his death and his glorious resurrection, overcoming and defeating him through this act of resurrection. So so from the moment Adam and Eve leave the garden, the battle is on between the spiritual seed of God's people and the spiritual seed of those who oppose him and will join in the rebellion against him. The question remains, who is this seed that will defeat the serpent? The answer to that scripture, this question is, is set forth throughout the pages of scripture. So that's the first curse. And we really could have spent a lot more time on there. Letter B, the curse upon the woman. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Can I get an amen from the women? He will increase your pain in childbirth. Oh, man. For the woman, the curse would be directly experienced through her two major roles. Think about that. The woman and her husband were to have, were to to enjoy the blessing of children. And we read in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them equally in the image of God. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The primary purpose of the woman was to be the chosen vehicle through which God would procreate humanity. And I guess there probably would be some child-bearing pain. Probably. But nothing like what is experienced now as a result of the fall. So there is this primary purpose of being the one that bears children into the world... And that has a lot of modern cultural implications in it, doesn't Doesn't it? Women are the only way humanity can ever be birthed into the world. It doesn't matter what you call yourself or how you dress yourself or how you act. 
If you're not a biological woman, you can't create another life. You just can't do it. It's impossible. So the primary role of the woman was to give birth to children, therefore procreating humanity. The second major role for the woman is to be found within the harmonious partnership within a marriage, also expressed in the creation account. Genesis 2.18, if you remember Genesis 2, is a detailed focus on day six of creation. God has created Adam. He's called him to name all the animals. And it is here that God declares in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Everything that God had made was good and perfect, exactly as he planned. But because man didn't have, did not have a partner yet, and creation was not complete yet, this state of aloneness was not good. Therefore, God was going to make a helper suitable for Adam. So Adam receives the gift of Eve, and he says, as we know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she's taken from him. And then the commentary is, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, right? That is a picture of the harmonious marriage relationship that God intended and created Adam and Eve to enjoy. And so Eve's primary purposes are found in procreating and this harmonious marriage where she is a helper to Adam. The judgment against the woman relates first to her children bearing and then to her marriage relationship. She would now bear children in increased pain and that word pain is also synonymous with the word toil meaning that you will bear children and you will raise them in pain and toil And this pain is both physical and emotional. Can I get an amen, moms? Isn't that right? Don't you just spend sleepless nights agonizing over the direction the lives of your children are going? And you just sit there and go, why aren't they listening? Why are they being so silly? Why will they just not express any common sense in the decisions that they make? Her desire will be for her husband, and he will rule over her. So this combination of words, desire and rule over, we'll see again in chapter 4, where God tells Cain that sin is crouching at his door, and it desires to master him, rule over him. It's the same idea here. So what the woman was once to do as a blessing, be a marriage partner, had children, had become tainted by a curse. No longer will she see herself with this joyful gift of bringing children into the world and being a helper for this incredible man, Adam. She's going to be saying, he don't know what he's doing. He needs a lot of help, and I'll tell you, I'm going to be the one to help him. Her desire, her intense passion is going to be to dominate him, to usurp the leadership role that God has established, and God says, <laughs> he's going to rule over you. It is the marriage relationship turned upside down, and that is why we have a 50% divorce rate, even within professing evangelical Christians. There's a battle going on. Who's going to win? 
I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm more influential. Oh yeah, well let's see. The battle line's been drawn. And many marriages, many, many men and women spend their marriage time battling out over who's going to win. And they basically come to the conclusion, I'm not in this any longer. I'm out. And there's a lot we could say about that. So the moments of greatest blessing, marriage and children, have now become directly affected by the curse. The joy of raising children comes with intense emotional pain. Adam and Eve are going to experience this very, very quickly when the two children first born to them come to this battle and one takes the life of the other. Think about this, the joy of the wedding ceremony when she's so beautiful. She's my little angel. He's my knight in shining armor. We're going to be happy forever and forever. The most expensive party a dad would ever pay for is usually followed by intense difficulty and emotional pain as the couple works out how to become one flesh how to work through the innate differences of male and female. By the way, guys, if you haven't figured this out, she's very different from you. And women, as it is utterly clear, he is very different from you. Add to that the sin and selfishness that is found in every person. It's a perfect recipe for conflict and battle. And this is the specific focus of the curse that has been enacted upon the woman. The woman's rebellious desire will be to dominate her husband. And the husband's re- rebellious reaction to the curse, not necessarily to this attempt of domination, his rebellious reaction is not to, is, is to rule over his wife, not in loving leadership, but in forceful domination. In most of the world today, men still dominate their wives in a very, very unhealthy way. So the marriage battle can take hours to discuss, to break down, to explore, etc., etc. And you get the idea here of the curse upon the woman. Now let her see upon the man. This goes a little more quickly. We're going to read verses 17 through 19. <clears throat> then, then, then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam has listened to the voice of his wife, not to the voice of God. And every time someone says, happy life, happy wife, happy life, I say, well, wait a minute, that's not always true, is it? (laughs) But Adam listened to the voice of his wife, not to the command of God, the only command. And so this lengthy description of punishment for the man will also be centered in his core responsibility... And that does not put a secondary place on his role as a husband or a father. But when Adam was created, he was given the the responsibility of ruling over creation and subduing it. The core of man's responsibility. And oh, by the way, this is why the core of man's identity today is his work. If you ask a man 
who he is, he will say, I'm an engineer, I'm a teacher, I'm a fireman, I'm an etc. fill in the blank. He will not say, I am a husband and a father and a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man's primary responsibility in his core is his work, and this is directly where the curse is going to focus. The work itself has not been cursed. It is the environment will Adam is going to work that has now been cursed. The joy-filled, easy work of caring for the garden is going to be replaced by working the ground that is now filled with thorns and thistles and is incredibly difficult to cultivate in order to bring forth the things that Adam and his family and all of humanity are going to need in order to feed themselves. Every farmer has a constant fight with the natural and edible growth that takes place in the field. If you've ever tried to have a nice, lush lawn, then you know the ongoing battle with weeds, right? Year after year, it never ends. It's always there. No matter how much you put down weed killer, no matter how much you treat it, they still come up. They blow from other places. Jesus said the soil produces a fruit of its own, indicating the weeds that are going to come up, the rebellion that comes up within the spiritual part of man. Adam's work and the ability to feed himself and his family would come through the sweat of his face for all the days of his life. And just as the woman would experience pain and child-rearing, so the man would experience pain and surviving in this newly cursed world. Man will not always be rewarded for his hard work. Man, can I get an amen to that? Isn't that true? Have you experienced that in your own life? The harsh truth is that much of the world, even today, struggles to feed themselves, to sustain themselves regularly. It is estimated that 85% of the world's population lives within what is now called a developing country. It used to be called a third world country. That's fallen out of form. And so now 85% of the world's population lives in a developing country. And if you look at the ones who identify where the developing countries are, it is virtually all of Central America, all of South America, all of Africa, and all of Asia. Australia, Europe, and North America are the only exceptions to the designation of developing countries. Countries doesn't mean there isn't any presence of poverty in those areas. It just means that the majority of the world's population is found in these areas that are developing and struggle with having enough food to eat. Even in America, 10% of our population struggles with what is called food security, knowing I'm going to be able to feed my family every day of this week. Man's basic need for survival is a direct result of the curse of the fall. It is not what God intended. It is not the way God created man to live and enjoy this life. But that's our reality. So in addition to this hard and strenuous work, the curse would also bring death. As Adam was created from the dust of the earth... To dust he will return. God warned him of this death. It was a sure and certain death. If you eat 
of the tree of which I am commanding you not to eat, you will surely die. God warned him of death if he disobeyed. The very thing that Satan said, that's not going to happen. God's blowing smoke. You're not going to die. God knows, and the day that you eat, you will be like God. He doesn't want you to be like Him. He's holding you back. Death is the reverse of Adam's God-given state when God scooped together a pile of dirt and fashioned into it this lifeless human and then breathed into his nostrils life. This is the God-given state. Life. The reverse of that is death. And this is exactly what God warned of, promised what happened, what Satan denied, and is now being pronounced upon Adam. You will die. Man is destined for death, and man is cut off from the life giving fruit of the tree of life, which God never ever told Adam he was prohibited from eating. Did you recognize that? Adam and Eve both had the ability to eat from the tree of life. They were only told they could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This means that Adam had the capacity to live forever as long as he had access to and ate from the tree of life. But once he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that came to an end. Because they rebelled and they disobeyed. But all is not lost. We turn to number five in our outline, and that is the epilogue. And I really wanted to spend more time on this, but I'm going to move through it more quickly than I needed. So the fall of man ends with an explanation of what takes place after the pronouncement of the curses, and it is laced with God's grace. It is a transition, a segue, into what is going to come in chapter 4 of life outside of the garden. And so we find in the epilogue, letter A, hope. Verse 20, Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. This, so as we read this, we might say, well, that sounds kind of out of place. I mean, God has pronounced these curses, told man he's going to die, and now it's talking about Adam giving Eve this name because she's going to be the mother of all living. It is, in fact, a sign of hope and grace for mankind as they are going to begin life outside of the garden. Adam gives to the woman the name Eve, Zoe, right? Zoe means life. Because she will become the mother of all the living. And so the sign of grace here is although there is going to be this experience of death, it is not a permanent death. It is a physical death that becomes a doorway into eternity. There's grace even with the pronouncement of expulsion from the garden and the punishment of death that is going to come. She will become the mother of all the living, including the eventual physical seed that would defeat the serpent and provide spiritual victory over him. So the name Eve celebrates the survival of the human race under the grace God chooses to dispense against this backdrop of rebellion. 
So this hope that is seen here is expressed in letter B through sacrifice. Verse 21, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So, if you remember, after they had disobeyed and were made aware of their nakedness, they hastily made loin coverings out of the branches, out of the palm leaves, out of uh, the leaves that were in the garden. And they attempted to cover their shame, and this attempt was inadequate. They knew it, which is why when God appeared in the garden, they hid themselves because they were ashamed. And here, God makes garments of skin from an animal that would be a sacrifice for the atonement of sin, and God would provide a means for covering them and their shame and their nakedness with the loin coverings they made, which were inadequate to do so. So, think about this. God's rest after creation, where He was done, has been disrupted by the need to make Skin coverings for Adam and Eve. The word made here is the exact same word throughout all of the creation narrative where God makes. God made the heavens and the earth. God made the sky. God made, etc., etc. God makes this covering through the sacrifice of an animal and fashions for them now suitable coverings to hide their shame. We're not told of the actual sacrifice that is made. We're not told of Adam and Eve's response to seeing this first dead thing in their world. But I I would imagine it would be pretty gruesome. I would imagine it would be very confrontational to see a dead animal. I would venture to say that you and I will go home today and we're probably going to eat some kind of a protein But if we went to the place where that protein was killed and saw the lifeblood spilled out, we would probably think twice about eating that particular animal and the reality of its sacrifice for our sustenance or its sacrifice for our spiritual cleansing would make the penalty of sin far more significant in our lives, wouldn't it? I guess the best way I could say this is think about your most beloved pet. And that pet being put to death so you could eat and so you could be forgiven of your sin. Wow. I don't know I could do that, right? So this verse doesn't initiate the sacrificial system. That's not going to come until much, much later. The system that Israel would come to know and be defined by. But it's certainly a foreshadowing of what is going to come for them as a constant practice. As we read in Hebrews 10 today, where they sacrifice animals over and over and over. Well, Jesus is the one sacrifice once for all. So the need for covering is also implied when the priestly responsibilities were given in the eventual description of the sacrificial system. And we read a little bit about that here in Exodus 28. You shall make for them instructions for the priests that are going to have to be covered to come into the tabernacle. You shall make for them linen breeches or pants to cover their bare flesh, for they shall reach from the loins even to the thighs. So the idea here is that the nakedness, the shame of nakedness, needs to be covered. And so as Adam and Eve are in the presence of God, the loin coverings are inadequate to cover their shame. So God needs to sacrifice an animal to cover their sin and to make a suitable covering for them. Now, 
in the sacrificial system enacted in Israel, it wasn't animal skin, it was linen and other things, and we could look at this and study Exodus and find all kinds of foreshadowing to the cross, but we're not going to do that. So priests needed to be thoroughly covered so the shame of their nakedness would not be exposed as they entered into the temple proper and then into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. Letter C in the outline is the expulsion. God provides the reason for banishment from the garden. Verse 22 and following. Uh, Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, a reference to the triune God, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. There it is. That's the reason that they were expelled from the garden. Now, as God gives this narrative here, the focus is on the man as he is given primary responsibility for the rebellion. Knowing good and evil has come unlawfully. It was God's knowledge alone, reserved for him alone. He did not want them to have that knowledge because because of what it would do to finite created beings. As soon as they had the knowledge of good and evil, they were ashamed of their nakedness, etc., etc., So now that they know good and evil, it has come unlawfully to them. If they were to eat from the tree of life, the punishment would be undone and they would have perpetual life. God was not going to allow that to happen. So they are banished from the garden. So they cannot eat the tree of life, which would undo the punishment of the curse. And so God expels them. Verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him, Adam, out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So expulsion from the protected garden tabernacle was necessary, and life for them would now begin on the outside, different from everything they have ever experienced or known, and quite different and hard beyond their imagination. So this expulsion coupled with the need for sacrifice is indicative of the spiritual death of being separated from the presence of God. This continues to be uh, drawn out in the verses that follow, not so obvious to us. Verse 24, So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. So God cleanses the garden tabernacle, and he places the cherubim there to protect it. He has this flaming sword. And so all throughout Scripture, the cherubim are beings associated with the presence of God. Anytime there is the presence of God, there are the cherubim. We see this in Isaiah, we see it in Revelation, we see it in other places. So their golden images form the coverings of the sacred ark of the covenant and also decorated the curtains of the holy of holies. There are carved cherubim that adorned Solomon's temple. It dominated the holy of holies. Cherubim represent the presence of God. And here, God puts a cherubim with a flaming sword at the east of the garden to protect it so that man cannot come in and eat from the tree of life. Man has been banished from the presence of God. Think about that. He has been banished from the presence of God. No longer will God fellowship with them in the cool of the day like He had up to this point. Paradise has been lost. Mankind will now live a life of incredible difficulty and hardship. But all is not lost. 
Because here in Genesis, the hope of a victor is given, one who will one day restore that which was lost. If you think about it, all of what Israel was instructed to do throughout the sacrificial system, throughout the ceremonies and the rituals, all the regulations, it was designed to give to them the ability to experience just a glimpse of the presence of God. Not even a glimpse they could look at, but a constant reminder of God's presence, of the fulfillment of the covenant that He would eventually make through Abraham, that covenant being necessary because of man's expulsion from the Garden and Tabernacle. Everything Israel does did was an attempt to please God, to make themselves acceptable to Him, and yet it would never ever be enough. It was only through the eventual seed that would come from the woman who would crush the serpent and therefore provide victory to God's people, those that would love Him and desire to please Him. Let's pray.